you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. of the Lord. Let's thank this music team for leading us tonight. They just led like we had a house full. That's what they're supposed to do, and we appreciate that so very much. Thank you for all that you've put into this church. Thank you to the faithful saints of God and to all of our guests that are here tonight. God bless you, and thank you for being here on this Sunday evening. I know you can look around and wonder what happened. Well, uh, life happens sometimes. I'm not disappointed one bit. I'm encouraged that you are here. And we're glad you're here. Of course, we want you to take care of your health during this time. If you have any symptoms, um, be sure, be sure to take care of your health and the health of all of your neighbors and friends that you would sit by in church. And we appreciate that. We want you to be safe and uh, be a good steward of all that God has blessed you with. And um, We look forward to uh, all those that are watching online being able to come back and be in the house of the Lord safely. And uh, we look forward to getting back, getting church back. But if I, I just couldn't dare to cancel another service. And we watched the weather very closely and turned out that it's not too terribly bad. And we were able to get here. And of course, many, not all that are here is because of sickness. Some because they travel some distance and just did not feel safe in making the trip, and so, uh, of course, um, they made a good decision. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You've been standing a long time tonight. Um, We are, of course, in our first 48, and I want to put a little plug in for the first 48. We are just a few days into January the 9th, so we're just a few days into our prayer and fast season and uh, many other things, and of course, if you are not connected online, You need to do so so that you can keep up with all the things that are happening. Uh, I presented a a calendar, a pretty thorough calendar of all of the events that are 
uh, going to be happening, special things that are happening on Sundays, and we're very, very excited for each of the Sundays. Every Sunday we have something very special and uh, a real purpose for us coming together, and uh, it's all part of the first 48, and we're very excited about it. Some this past Monday kicked off the 40-day leg of our prayer and fast season, and others are going to join with us uh, for the 21-day leg of the fast. Uh, and that's going to be starting here in about 13 days, I think, on the 22nd. That's a Saturday evening, 6 o'clock. We're going together for a corporate prayer meeting, and we will be kicking off that 21-day leg of the fast together. And uh, it's always a good time, a strengthening time. And if you've never been part of what God does through the awakening season here at CLC, you are in for a treat. You are in for a treat. And we're so very excited about our speaker lineup this year. I know many years we have had one guest that has come in for the duration of the Awakening Revival Conference. And this year we are doing something a little different, and that is we're going to be having three special speakers with us last year. Brother Rick Gonzalez, Bishop Rick Gonzalez was with us. We are bringing him in. He will be here on the very first weekend, and he will be leading us in on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then on Wednesday night, Brother Scott Graham is going to be here, a preacher of preachers. He will be here on Wednesday and Thursday nights. And then Brother Josh Herring is going to be with us, and uh, he's going to be with us on Friday night and, of course, take us home uh, at the end of the awakening on uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night, the final Sunday morning, Sunday night of the awakening. So we're very excited about that. And I know many have questions, and I do want to make you aware. This morning, my wife met with a group at 9 a.m. and went over some of the details of the Daniel's Fast. This may be your first year, and if you haven't been part of that, you do want to be part of it. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to just kind of shut all the things of the world out, zone in on what God is doing, focus in. You're going to see God elevate you in ways you've never seen before. And uh, if you'll draw nigh to him in this season, I can promise you he's going to draw nigh unto you. And so this coming Sunday, my wife will once again be meeting upstairs, um, uh, the first room on the right. I can't remember the number of the room, but uh, uh, it's upstairs on the right. Uh, if you would like to meet and know more about the Daniels Fast, she will be sharing information, give you time to be able to prepare uh, your house and uh, your family to participate uh, in this season of fasting. And we hope that you can get on board with us and believe in God's going to do great things in every life. Amen. Amen. We love what the Lord is doing in the church. I'm going to take your attention tonight into the word of the Lord, John chapter 13. I have a lot of reading to do, and uh, I'm going to be skipping around just a little bit, so the media team will stay with me. I'll be skipping over a few verses just for the sake of time, but I have such a lengthy reading beginning in John chapter 13, verse number 4, and I'll be reading for a little bit um, through this passage, and I want to talk to you tonight about something that I feel is very, very important for us in this season. How many of you know that God expects us to love everybody? God expects us to love everybody. And sometimes that's not so easy. I thank God that my wife loves me on some days I'm not very lovable. I thank God that 
the church loves me some days that I'm not very lovable. You encourage sometimes when uh, some of you come up and tell me what a good job I do when I know I didn't do such a good job. But I appreciate you for encouraging. I appreciate your encouraging words. I, I appreciate you for, for just saying, come on, we're going to keep on going. Amen. Amen. John chapter 13, verse number 4. Here we read a text. It's a very serious passage and text. And um, this season, of course, in the church, this becomes very familiar to us. Um, but I feel that God has spoken to me about some things that um, are important to us. And um, we need to heed what God is wanting to say to the church. John chapter 13 and verse number 4. Everybody all right tonight? Amen. John 13 verse 4. He riseth from supper laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, I want to have part with you. That's what he's saying. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean. And he says a little word here, but not all. I want you to remember that, but not all. Speaking to the disciples now. For ye knew, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Verse 13, you call me master and lord and you say, well, for so I am. Verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now, this is a very important passage in this message that I'm going to bring to you tonight. He said, I know whom I've chosen, and I've done it so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit. Everybody say, Jesus was troubled. And he testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. When I have dipped it, 
And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him except Simon. Only one other person understood what had just transpired. Verse 29, for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, our final verse. He then, having received the sop, went out immediately, and it was night. And by the help of the Lord, I, I'm going to talk to you about something. This has been stirring in my spirit for several weeks, actually maybe even a few months. And I felt to bring this tonight. I wish the whole church was here, and of course I understand that when the Lord is ready to, for me to deliver a word and puts it in my heart, puts it in my spirit, that he has a purpose for which he is sending his word. But I want you to pay attention to this text and the thought that I'm going to bring to you tonight is very simple and very complex, yet extremely important to every child of God. Jesus, in this text, the scripture said, Jesus knew whom he had chosen. He knew what was going to transpire. But my subject for tonight, Jesus also loved Judas. Jesus also loved Judas. Let's pray. Lord, help me tonight to speak what you put in my spirit. Lord, I pray for an inspiration of the Holy Ghost in this room tonight. Lord, I pray that your word accomplishes the purpose for which you are sending it. Inspire us with your power and your might. Let your word accomplish something deep in every heart and every life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Growing up, we had cows. My dad had several cows that would be out in the pasture. Sometimes he would send me to feed them. I would go to feed those cows. We'd go out. We kind of had a way. Usually when the vehicle pulled up by the barn, everybody knew what was going to happen. Most of the cows would come in. They would gather in, and we kind of had a feeding pen, and so the gate would be open. They would come into that feeding pen. And we would go and open the barn door and get, get out a bucket, and I remember, I was very young, I remember taking and hitting that bucket. And it's a specific noise that those cattle that may be across the pasture would hear and know and recognize. And so they would come running into the feeding pen in order to eat. And um, sometimes the grass was good, things were good, cows were eating, and they didn't all come in. 
and there would just be a few cows that would come in and gather into the pen. And, of course, we had a set amount that we normally fed, but the cows that came in, if you put all the feed out, believe me, those cows would stand there and eat until every bit of that feed was gone. So my dad always had a way of saying, if only a few cows come in, don't put out all the feed. So you all just keep that in mind tonight. I've got that. I've got that in perspective as I start to preach. Don't anybody get offended. I didn't call you any cows. You're beautiful. You're beautiful sheep. The narrative of our text begins at one of the most spiritual moments between Jesus and his disciples. Moments after communion. And now Jesus set an example by washing the disciples' feet. All the while, Jesus knew that he was about to reveal something that up until now only two people knew. Who the betrayer was among them. Judas knew, but he thought that no one else knew his dirty little secret. But then Jesus was about to reveal in a very passive manner that he knew who. And it was the one carrying the bag. Perhaps one of the hardest things for me to wrap my brain around in this text is when I was reading through this text and the Lord spoke to me at a very difficult point about some things and some things I was personally dealing with at the time and the Lord began to deal with me and he just simply said, I loved Judas also. It set me back for a little bit. Perhaps the hardest thing for Jesus was to wrap his heart around the fact that Jesus genuinely loved Judas. Yet, no matter how much Jesus loved Judas, Judas still betrayed him. Nothing in Scripture gives any insight into what went wrong, what Jesus did to cause Judas to do what he did. Jesus was innocent of any wrongdoings, yet he still ended up being betrayed by Judas. He had done nothing wrong. Jesus was blinded by love, by the love that he had for Judas, to the point that Jesus even trusted Judas. Jesus trusted Judas because he loved Judas. So many questions could have been asked. Did Jesus know that Judas had something wrong in his heart all along? Did he know that the son of Simon had a heart condition that would cause him to secretively gather information behind closed doors with an intent to betray him? Did Jesus know that the disciples that he loved couldn't be trusted? Was the loyalty of Judas from the beginning greater to those who hated Jesus than to the one who chose him? 
the other side had evil intent to overthrow and to ultimately destroy Jesus. That was no secret. They were public about their discontent with him. Their agenda had been revealed long before our text concluded. But was it possible for one of the twelve to apparently be double-crossing the Messiah? After all, how could anyone want to harm the one that fed the hungry people, that raised dead children back to life? Who could imagine one that was the closest to him and that he clearly loved and that he trusted to carry the leather purse would have evil intent. Not just evil intent, but evil intent that would lead to murder. Did, did Judas actually know that his actions were evil? A lot of questions here in this text. Some of us may have felt a little of that pain too. How must have Jesus felt? Jesus loved and trusted Judas. His heart was full of ill intent, but blinded by love. Jesus watches it all unfold. His spirit undoubtedly revealed the secretive motives of the heart of Judas in that leather purse that he carried was more than just silver and the names of poor widows that he was supposed to feed each week. There was also perhaps the memories, the mental recordings or confidential conversations behind closed doors. Judas was waiting for the moment to reveal all he knew from his close relationship with Jesus. For three and a half years, everything said that pricked the heart of Judas had somehow been filed away in the memory bank of his mind. An evil plan was slowly being compiled. The ultimate plan was secretive. One day, one day I will sell out and I will share everything that I know. One day Judas would cash in everything he had learned for his ultimate agenda to overthrow the one that chose him in the first place. It's a heavy thought. The evil plot would strip the lover of his soul, of his earthly power and position, and put it back into the hands of the Sanhedrin. It's easy to dismiss Judas as a villain and some even dismiss him as a victim and say it had to be. He was the only one it could be. But I'm struck by the fact that in many ways he was just like some of us. Judas was a follower of Jesus and a preacher of the gospel. Don't forget that Judas was a disciple of Christ. He sat through his teachings. He was there when he did miracles. But the double-mindedness about him in the end caused him to abandon the faith that he had for three and a half years professed to be his future. Everything about Judas wasn't bad. Jesus saw enough good in Judas that he chose him as one of the twelve and he didn't just choose him, but he gave him a significant place of trust within the small group of his closest men, the disciples. He was chosen to carry the purse, the money bag, to 
careful not to overlook the good that Judas had done and what he had put on the line to follow Jesus. Consider the commitment that Judas made. Judas made a commitment to Jesus and there's no reason to think that he was anything but sincere in his faith. Like the rest of the disciples, he left everything that he had to follow Jesus. Even Judas, he left everything to follow him. Watch. He was actively involved in ministry. He was given remarkable spiritual gifts. Let your mind be open now to the concepts and the idea. Luke tells us that Jesus called the twelve together. That includes Jesus, Judas. When he called the twelve together, Judas would have been part. He didn't say he called the eleven. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. Anybody with me tonight? He called the twelve together and said, I give you power to cast out demons. I give you power to heal the sick. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That included Judas. He wasn't wasn't excluded spiritual giftings. There's so much preaching I could do here. I'm going to let the word do the preaching for me tonight. Judas's chariot was a gospel preacher. He was given the gift of healing and he exercised authority over demons. Judas. He was actively involved in every aspect of ministry. This is a good and wonderful thing, but it is not in of itself a guarantee that everybody has a pure heart and pure motives and pure agendas. Nevertheless, Jesus loved Judas. Consider the opportunity that Judas was given. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He saw the greatest life ever lived up close and personal. You can't have a better role model of faith, a better teacher, a better mentor in your life. You can't be in a better environment for growth and forming faith than Judas had been walking. He had been walking with the one that we celebrate as our Savior, as his personal mentor. Yet, he found fault with him. Our Messiah, our Lamb slain, Judas found fault with him. Why do we get so paranoid when people find fault with us? Are we better than Jesus? When even one of his disciples, the one he chose, the one he trusted, the one he elevated, the one he allowed close to him to betray him. Judas heard all the teachings of Jesus too. He heard the Sermon on the Mount, so he knew that there was a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. 
He heard the warnings Jesus spoke to the Pharisees so he knew that there was a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. He heard the parable of the prodigal son so he knew God already is welcoming and forgiving to those that have walked away from him and lived a life of sin and make a decision to return. With Judas' own eyes, he saw the clearest evidence that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. With his own ears, he heard the finest teachings from the mouth of heaven's gift to humanity. With his own feet, he followed the greatest example to ever walk on this earth, and yet his heart condition was so sinister that this man still betrayed our Savior. With Judas's eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. With his ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet, he still betrayed Jesus. Jesus knowing his heart, Jesus understanding his motives, Jesus reading through all of it, looked and he said he was the one that he loved. It wasn't just Peter that he loved. It wasn't just Matthew. Or it was also Judas that he loved. The human heart's beyond understanding. And there's something incomprehensible about a person who abandons the faith that they once professed and walks away. Sometimes it's difficult to understand. It's hard to understand how a young person raised by godly parents in the context of a healthy church and Christian environment taught scriptural truths from an early age and grounded in the truth can give up and walk away from all of it and claim it was because somebody said something about them. Somewhere, perhaps we're missing the fact of teaching enough about Jesus and what he went through. He looked at Judas and he loved him knowing what his motive was. He loved him knowing what his agenda was, knowing what he would do in the end. In his foreknowledge, he had no doubt that he already knew before he placed spiritual giftings and the gift of healing. And He already knew what he was going to do, yet gave him an opportunity. Could Judas have changed his destiny? I'm not here to discuss that with you. It had to be somebody, but I'm not sure it had to be Judas. Otherwise, the Bible would, would conflict its own self in the fact that every man has been given free will and the ability to be able to run to the feet of their master and pour their heart out to God. I come tonight to tell you, every one of you, man, woman, boy, girl, young, old, however deep in sin you've been or however righteous that you have been, who can even know his own heart? But every one of us are given the opportunity to run to the hands of a bloody Savior and cry out for help and he will redeem us and he will sanctify us and he will bring us back and he has purchased us with his own blood. It's an opportunity for everybody. You don't have to be lost. Judas' story contains an important lesson for parents and leaders and friends 
who grieve over someone they love who has abandoned them or who has abandoned the faith. Either setting bids the same questions. Anybody in this room ever ask yourself this question? Where did we go wrong? What more could we have done? Did we fail in our teaching? Did we fail in our example? Should we have immersed our son or daughter or loved one or friend in a different environment? But Judas teaches us the the answer to the question. The life of Judas teaches us that even the best example, Jesus Christ himself, the most compelling evidence, the finest teaching, the ultimate environment for incubating faith and growth in a godly lifestyle cannot in of themselves change the human heart. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody in this room needs to hear what this preacher was saying. No matter how dark you feel your heart is and how much that you are trying to hide from God and from everybody around, your brothers, even among the twelve, there was not one, only Simon, that heard what Jesus said just before Judas ran out the door. Prior to that, there's no evidence that any one of the other eleven knew what was going on other than Jesus. He was a disciple among them. He was in their altar calls, laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. He was there watching the devils be cast out, and he was part of it. He wasn't standing in the corner counting money. He wasn't standing in the corner whispering evil thoughts. He was given the power and authority like all the rest of them. In the middle of all of it, there was an evil heart that was being masked in spiritual giftings. I don't know who, why, I don't know why the Lord would have me preach this on this Sunday evening, but I'm coming just to tell somebody, no matter what you are dealing with in your heart and how much you feel like you are covering and how much you feel like you are so far away from God internally, but nobody knows and nobody sees, even his brethren didn't know, but know this, God already knows, but it is not destined your failure. You are not destined to failure. You can run to the, you can't change your heart, but he said in his word, He would take out a heart of stone and he would put in a heart of flesh. I come to tell everybody in this room tonight, there is hope for you. There is a chance for you. There is a future for you. You don't have to follow the way of your heart. Hallelujah. I've heard people say, Just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. The heart is deceitful. Continually wicked, the Bible said. Don't follow your heart. Follow his heart. I won't be much longer. The third thing I want you to consider tonight is the choice that Judas made. Before we lay all of the blame on the evil heart of mankind, 
be sure to remember that Satan made a relentless assault on Judas's soul. He was targeted. This isn't the only time that such an assault has been launched. Satan makes a relentless assault on every one of us who sincerely seeks to follow Christ. Don't ever kid yourself. I said it this morning. I'm going to say it again just for some of you that, that, that maybe weren't here or for some of you that missed it when I said it this morning. But during the season of prayer and fasting, do not think that everything is going to get easier. Do you know when the temptations of Christ came? You know when Satan himself came and began to tempt Jesus and began to tell him, if you will do this, I will do this. I will begin to tempt him. Every one of the temptations was to lead to the death of Jesus. Turn the bread to stone in the middle of a 40-day fast. 40 days into a fast, you don't eat bread, it would kill you. Here he is 40 days into a fast and Jesus came. You know when he came? Not when he was walking in victory, but when he was in the middle of a fast. You want to know when the enemy's going to come and attack you? It's going to be when you start doing everything you can to say, I'm cutting out the cares of this world because it is the things of this world. As long as the things of this world and the pleasures of this world is what we're living for and what we're reaching for and our agendas and our motives are all built around the things of this world, Satan's sitting back with a, with a, with a, with, with a sneer of glee because he knows that you are not focused on growing in, in, in the Lord. But as soon as you say, Hey, I'm going to start pushing a plate back. I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to start. I'm going to start being more faithful and more committed. When you do, the enemy's going to come and throw temptations at you that you've never been tempted with before. He's going to come at you in ways. He's going to put thoughts in your mind. He's going to. Jesus rebuked him with one word and he said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. It is the word of God. It is the word of God that will send Satan flee. Every time the enemy comes, you need to pull out the word of God and declare, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I rebuke you with the word. Offenses aren't just going to come. They're all from Satan. Don't kid yourself. Some of those are going to come. You know what the Bible said about some of the, some of the struggles in the church? It said some of the struggles in the church came from without. And some of them came from within. That's what the Bible said. Some of them came from without. Some of them came from within. Here's the issue. You're either in or out. There is no middle ground. Either you are on board and you're part of what God is doing or you are an enemy of what God is wanting and trying to do. I understand. I've been questioned as to why. Why do I make a big deal about prayer and fasting in this season? Because there is such a 
power in the unified effort of the church. When we come together and you say, I just don't know if I can get through. And a brother or sister comes and says, come on, let's get through another day. Let's make it another day. Let's, let's live to fight another day. Let's pray another day. Let's have prayer meeting together. Let's fast one more day and see what God does. Let's see if the attacks of Satan are coming. But when we're unified together and we're fighting together, there is nothing that the enemy can do to get through to the church because God is fighting with us and God is fighting for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? This is why it's important to be on board. This is why it's important to be part. Because you are either, by your participation, you are either encouraging or you are discouraging. I've never seen somebody engaged, praying, fasting, doing the work of God, and criticizing at the same time. You don't know what brings buy-in? Participation. When people begin to put their own blood, sweat, and tears, when people begin to pray and fast together, when you become faithful to prayer meeting, faithful to fasting, faithful to Bible reading and say, whatever, I'm getting on board. I may not like it. My flesh may not like it, but I've got to conquer this flesh and the will of the flesh because that's what this is all about. We are being flesh-driven, but the Lord is calling us in this season as a church to begin to say, no, I will not allow this flesh to rule anymore. It is not what I think. It is not how I feel. It is not what I want, but it is what he wants. I'm getting on board the old ship of Zion, and I'm getting ready for that great day when he's going to call us home because I'm going to tell you in these last days and in these evil days, you need the church. You need your brothers and sisters. You need one another. It's the only way we're going to make it out of here. I've got to hurry. I hasten to a close. Look at the biblical accounts of Satan's attacks on Judas. In Luke chapter 22, the Bible said, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. In John chapter 13, the Bible said, The devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. In John 13, 27, the Bible said, Satan entered into him. The Bible's clear statements about Satan's activity have led some to say, well, poor Judas, he didn't have a chance. Satan entered into him. What could he do about that? But this evaluation overlooks the fact that Judas opened the door to Satan. Judas had been stealing from the collective money bag and when he kept this little secret, Satan entered him. He made a deal with the chief priest and then sat down at the Lord's table. He had already <coughs> he had already been thinking about what he was going to do and how he was going to betray him. It was not until that moment that Satan entered even further into his heart. I close. Satan doesn't gain a foothold in the lives of people 
who are walking closely with Jesus. He fights them, but he doesn't get a foothold. You know who he gets a foothold with? Those that say, nah. I'll be committed on the surface. I'll come to church and smile, but I'll go home. And I will have a different outlook. He only gains access when we open the door. How do you open the door? You open the door to the enemy by every act of discontent, disconnection, being unsatisfied, dissatisfied. Satan's frailty is proved by this, that he cannot approach a soul unless the soul has first opened the door to him. Someone asked me this morning about demon possession. It's not a subject we approach very often and certainly not anything I would normally talk about on a Sunday. But it's fitting in this message for me to address and make this statement very clear. I don't believe anybody inadvertently becomes demon possessed. In order for one to become possessed by Satan himself, they have to open the door and let the channels of their soul be open for the enemy to be able to enter. Sometimes we get this the wrong way around. We firmly believe that Jesus can't do anything for a person unless they open the door, but we live in fear that Satan somehow has this secret access into our lives. We've preached it and taught it, maybe wrongly, Maybe we've told our young people, Brother Brandon, that Satan can secretively have access into your life, but I'm not sure that's correct. Because no more than Jesus can have access into your heart by you opening your heart to him. Satan doesn't have access to your life unless you open yourself up to him. Satan's not more powerful than Jesus. As a matter of fact, Satan is subject to Jesus. He believed in one God and trembled. And in that day, in that great day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I come tonight to tell you there's nothing more powerful than the presence of God. And when you open yourself to the presence of God, the flesh can no longer live. Satan can can't control you. Satan can't direct you. You now have power. The scripture said, when the Holy Ghost has come, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There is a power that comes about. Stand with me all over the room. Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in unto him and I'll sit down and I'll, I'll eat with him. Where is the Lord tonight? You're either sitting at his table or he's standing at your door 
and he's knocking. And he's saying, come on, make room for me at your table. Because my desire is to sit down and eat with you. With every one of you. His word also says there's no temptation that's taken you. But such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able. But with every temptation, he will make way of escape. Satan also comes and knocks at your door. Well, I don't know. I'm caught in this trap. No, you're not. In every temptation of Satan, God has already made a way of escape for you. He's standing at the door knocking open to him. Judas made a choice to go out into the darkness that he had chosen. There's no middle ground. You either give yourself to God completely or you'll end up giving yourself away to the cares of this life. But at the core of this message tonight, I close with this question. I know you love those that are around you. I know you love your family and your friends. But the real question at hand right now is, we talk about loving like Jesus loves. But can you put that in comparison to the way that Jesus loved Judas? Knowing what he knew about him, yet he loved him with the love in which he loved. How possible. It's easy to love those that love you. But Jesus always caught us with that left-handed hook. And he said things like, love your enemy. Do good to those that despitefully use you. He lived it out in the example of Judas. Everything in his word that he tells us to do that we struggle with, he's given us an example of how that he did it. Tonight, I believe the Lord is calling us to a point as a church to get ready. I don't know who's going to walk in the doors of this room. I don't know who's going to be part of this last day revival. I don't know who it is, but I know this much. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. It doesn't matter their financial background, their pedigree. It doesn't matter their, what their finances look like. It doesn't matter how they dress. It doesn't matter how they look. It doesn't matter what their past lifestyle is. The blood of Jesus is able to cover it. Are you able to love those that are not like you? Can you love them like Jesus loved Judas? Can you love those that aren't like you? Can you love those? even be the enemy in your life. I hear the Lord standing at the door tonight knocking.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed in the room. I'm opening these altars now. I hear the Lord standing at the door knocking. I hear Him calling at someone's heart. I hear Him asking if He can come in and dine with you if you'll make room for Him at your table. In these first 48, specifically, would you make room in your life for Jesus to be your special guest every day? Would you make room for him in your heart? Would you make room for him at your table? Would you make room for him in your life? In the midst of your busy schedule, would you make room for him? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Let's just turn this house into a prayer room. Whether you come forward or in your pew where you are, turn this house into a prayer room right now. Come on, every corner of your heart. He already knows. He already sees. You haven't hidden anything from Him. I surrender all to You. Everything I give. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I surrender, I surrender Come on, let this song be your prayer. Let it come from deep down within your spirit. Come on, pour it all out to the Lord tonight. I'm not holding anything back. You already know. Withholding nothing. Come on, if there's sin in your life, make it right. If there's wrong in your heart, make it right. Come on, open your life completely to Him. He wants to come in and dine with you. He's knocking. He's knocking on that door right now. Oh, yeah. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I surrender all to you. Oh, yes. Everything I give to you. Oh, yes. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I surrender all. I surrender all. Yes, I do. Everything, Everything I, I give to you. Withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. Oh, yeah. I surrender. I surrender. I give it all to you. Here I am, God. Everything I, I, give I give to you, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, I long, I surrender. 
you lift your hands all over this building and just surrender your heart, your life, your will to the Lord. Come on, maybe you've already done that in the past, but it's good to do that every now and again. Don't just assume that God knows, but say, God, I surrender myself to you all over again. Come on, somebody lift your voice and begin to surrender yourself. 